the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister with the North Valley Church of Christ. If you would, if you're home or if you're uh, the passenger, if you want to open your Bibles with me, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. And while you're turning there, it's May the 2nd, 2023, and the weather's nice. I know it was pretty windy yesterday, but the weather's nice. It's cooling off a little bit. I'm very thankful for that. So get outside this week while you still can, if you're able to, to enjoy this weather before you know what comes. It's warming up, and I hope uh, you have some good plans for the summer. If not, if you're still trying to figure out what to do with the kids, I want to encourage you to take a look at the Copper Basin Bible Camp. You can go to our website, cbbc.life, L-I-F-E, or copperbasinbiblecamp.org. Learn more about that. We have our summer camp starting in June, going all the way to about the first week of July. And it, it is not expensive to go there. Cup Camp for introducing camps a few days, that's $95 per kid. And a whole week for the kids from fourth grade all the way up to high school, $195 for an entire week of awesome camp just outside of Prescott, Arizona. Take a look at that. Think about that if you're still looking for something for your children to do this summer. Okay, First Timothy. I want to start with a story. And it's a story told about a shipwrecked sailor who had spent several years on this deserted island all alone. And one morning, man, was he thrilled to see a ship offshore and a smaller vessel being lowered. You know, they began to paddle towards him. And when this boat arrived on the beach, the officer in charge stopped the marooned sailor from getting in. He said, wait, I want to give you this bundle of newspapers. The captain told me to have you read through all these papers, and then once you read them, let us know if you still want to be rescued. <laughs> and, you know, if that, if I was that maroon sailor and I had food and water on that island and I read those newspapers, I would say, leave me here. <laughs> you got a, a magazine or a, a nice book or a Bible. How about that? Because I would not want to come back to the chaos in the conflict of our world. Now, obviously, shipwrecks are not a laughing matter. Uh, During wartime, many ships are lost from being hit by torpedoes, being hit by other kinds of ammunition. But additionally, other ships are lost during warfare because of carelessness, human error. And when that happens, they end up being dashed up against some rocks or run aground in shallow waters. 
And I'm sure you've figured out the reason I'm starting out on a discussion of warfare and shipwrecks because both of those ideas show up in our scripture reading for today. The spiritual war is real and it is never ending. And tragically, there are many casualties in the spiritual war. Many people have shipwrecked their faith and have suffered a spiritual death. So let's take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 to 20 with me, please. Paul writes, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these is Hemenaeus uh, and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Hemenaeus. I don't know why I always, when I look at Hemenaeus, I want to say something different every time. I have to stop and think about it. Hemenaeus and Alexander. Now, this short paragraph here in 1 Timothy, it only consists of you know the three verses, 18, 19, 20, but it is filled with some important spiritual truths. After Paul spent the last section uh, rejoicing in the difference that the gospel makes in the lives of people, and especially in his own life, he returns to his primary purpose and theme, the need for Timothy, that young preacher, to deal with the false teachers in Ephesus. Paul understood that Timothy's victory in the spiritual war would not be easy. Standing for the truth is always a challenging battle, and Paul knew that Timothy would need encouragement to fight the good fight. So in verse 18, he writes, This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son. Now Paul used the word instruction uh, back at verse 5 when he wrote, The goal of our instruction is love. Now why is that important? It's the same word found here in verse 18 for command. It's instruction. This instruction, I entrust you, this command. Now, I'm told that the noun form of this word is strictly used of commands received from a superior. That's what's happening in verse 18. So it conveys a sense of urgent obligation. Paul was not giving Timothy a suggestion. He was issuing an urgent command from a superior officer to a spirit, from a spiritual father, okay? And what was the command? Well, <clears throat> It could include all the commands that Paul gave Timothy, but I think it applies to the special task Paul gave him for his ministry in Ephesus. Remember in verse 3, As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus. Why? So that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Sorry, I'm taking a sip of my coffee so my throat will uh, not get too dry. Now, Paul mentioned that this command to Timothy was in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning him. The the gift of prophecy was uh, part of God's arrangement for guiding the church in its infancy. And uh, uh, so Paul, he didn't specify what the prophecy about Timothy was, 
uh, because he was writing to Timothy, and Timothy already knew these things. So we don't know what those prophecies were, but uh, Timothy did. But uh, by being reminded of, the, of these things, Timothy would have realized that God had foreseen this moment, that God would not have commissioned him if he could not do the job. So with God's help, Timothy could win the victory and he could complete his assignment. So Paul challenged Timothy, fight the good fight, right? Chapter 6, Paul will repeat that challenge. Fight the good fight of faith there in verse 12. The word good implies noble. It it implies praiseworthy. Um, There are some fights that we know, they're not good fights, including things like world wars, national battles, neighborhood skirmishes, congregational clashes, domestic disturbances, things of that nature. But the good fight that Paul had in mind was the battle to defend the truths of God. And in order to engage in the good fight, we need the right kind of weapons. Uh, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he reminded them that our, uh, the weapons of our warfare were not of this world. They're not physical, spiritual. Ephesians 6, the, that extensive description of the spiritual armor we are to put on as a congregation. And here in 1 Timothy 1.19, Paul only mentioned two spiritual qualities that Timothy needed for victory. That was faith and a good conscience. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> excuse me, there's no definite article connected to faith. When I say definite article, what I mean there, if you don't know, is the word the. So it's not the faith. That's not there. It's just just faith. So it's likely that Paul wasn't talking about the faith from Jude 3, you know, the, the, the faith once handed down to the saints, but more likely talking about Timothy's personal faith. John tells us in 1 John 5, 4, this is the victory that has overcome the world. Remember, you know what it is? He says, our faith. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Paul also mentions, uh, back over here in 1 Timothy 1, 18, uh, 19, a good conscience. Now, the conscience is our God-given ability within us to distinguish between good and evil. And, of course, we, we've talked about this in the past. Whatever you feed the conscience, you know, that's what it's going to give you. It's going to give you that. So if you feed the word of God, it will be a good guide. But it's only a guide. But it will help us between good and evil. Because we know instinctively certain things are wrong, even without the word of God. We, we understand you shouldn't kill people. We shouldn't lie. We know this. <clears throat> now, the word Paul used here for good, it is different from the word he used in uh, fight in verse 18, where he says, where's that? Fight the good fight. Keeping faith and a good conscience, verse 19. The word good here is different than the word good fight. It's two different words. I hope I didn't beat that one up too bad. So the word associated with good fight meant noble, praiseworthy. We already mentioned that. The word associated with good conscience means excellence. So a good and excellent conscience uh, is one that is free from guilt. And the reason why it needs to be conscience needs to be qualified because you could have a bad conscience. You can have a, 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 a one that's not excellent. It is a clear, what he's talking about here, Paul, he's talking about a clear conscience that comes as a result of Christ's cleansing blood and walking in God's ways. To triumph over evil, both we and Timothy, we need faith and a good conscience. Faith and a good conscience that go together. How can you get a good conscience? Well, being baptized, wash away those sins. 
Because as Peter tells us, 1 Peter 3, 16, um, baptism now also saves us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. So faith has to do with what a person thinks, and conscience has to do with how a person lives. Now, Satan can attack a person's beliefs or tempt them into wrong behavior, right? We know that. And if Satan causes a person to doubt, then they will often slip into wrong behavior because why live a godly life if you have doubts that there is a God or that it makes a difference how you live? But if Satan leads someone into sin, their conscience will prick them and they will have to make a choice. They can either abandon their sin or abandon their faith. Sadly, many people choose to abandon their faith rather than abandon their sin. That is the case in our day. And that was the case in Paul's day. There's nothing new under the sun, guys. Now, notice that that was the point Paul was making in verse 19. He says, or he continues to say, Actually, let me start uh, uh, from the beginning of verse 19. Keeping the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. The word used for rejected, that's a strong word. It expresses a deliberate decision to ignore the conscience and aggressively push aside its warnings. You've rejected your conscience, your good conscience, I should say. We enter into dangerous territory when we refuse to listen to our conscience. The metaphor of a shipwreck, powerful one, we can all imagine the terror, the destruction of a shipwreck, and how vulnerable we are in the midst of a deep and turbulent water. Paul had personally been shipwrecked at least four occasions. Uh, One of those shipwrecks is described in vivid detail for us in Acts 27, and perhaps that's what maybe came to Paul's mind when he used the the term. Although, uh, it couldn't have because I don't think Paul was in that shipwreck uh, at this point. Not yet, when he wrote 1 Timothy. Uh, Verse 20. And here Paul moves from this abstract uh, to more concrete by naming two men who had shipwrecked their faith. Now, so far in chapter 1, Paul had been vague about the individuals whom Timothy needed to correct. Verse 3, he said certain men needed to be told not to teach false doctrine. Verse 6, he says, for some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussions. But then verse 20, Paul mentioned a few of the certain men and the some men by saying Hymenaeus and Alexander. Now Hymenaeus is also mentioned by, uh, by Paul in his second letter to Timothy. And he, Paul says that Hymenaeus was teaching that the resurrection had already taken place. That's not good. And by spreading that false doctrine, he had upset the faith of some. We don't know who Alexander was. We know it was a common name uh, at that time, but we, we don't know anything about this particular person. Now, Paul tells us, in ver- or tells Timothy in verse 20, whom I have, talk about these two men, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. Handed over to Satan. That's Paul's way of referring uh, to church discipline or disfellowship. 
Some call it excommunication, but it's a disfellowshipping. Uh, Paul used the same terminology, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, where Paul said that the unrepentant brother was to be delivered to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Why? So that his spirit may be saved in the day of judgment. Now, in reality, there are only two places a person can be. A person can be in the kingdom of God, or they can be in the domain of darkness. That's where Satan is, where he rules. When a person becomes a Christian, they leave, excuse me, they leave the domain of darkness and they enter into God's kingdom. But when a Christian persists in sin and they refuse to repent, then they must be put out of the church because they've already walked out of God's kingdom. They're already in the domain of darkness. They just don't know it. Or maybe they don't, they, they don't want to recognize it. And so that's a way of us showing this is where you're at. You're not in a right relationship with God. So that's the purpose. Or that's one, one of the purposes of church discipline and this, this fellowship. Uh, certainly not a cause, uh, not to cause the person to give up uh, and give Satan, give in to Satan's temptation. That's not the reason. The main reason is restoration. It is the hope that the person will miss the fellowship. They will miss the encouragement and the support of the church family. That when they realize they are ultimately no longer connected to God and his family, they will want to repent and return. Now here in verse 20, Paul said the purpose was so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. To blaspheme... um, is to speak evil of. Hymenaeus and Alexander had likely been speaking evil of maybe Paul and his ministry. And and they would have to because they would be contradicting Paul. And hopefully there were people there standing up for Paul, like perhaps Timothy was doing that, I hope. But because Paul was commissioned by Jesus himself to speak against Paul, uh, uh, to speak, uh, I'm sorry, because Paul was commissioned by Jesus himself, to speak against Paul was to speak against the Christ, to Jesus in his word, because Jesus had sent Paul as an apostle. Now, did the spiritual discipline of Hymenaeus and Alexander have the desired effect? Well, it, it apparently had little effect on Hymenaeus. He, because, as we already mentioned in Paul's second letter, he showed that he was still upsetting Christians with his false teaching. But we don't know about Alexander. We don't know if he repented or not. I would like to think he did, uh, but if he did, I would think Paul would have made mention of that, but maybe not. But uh, we we don't know. Church discipline helps some people, but not all. It helps make some people better, but it causes others to just become bitter. We know that church discipline exercise against the man in 1 Corinthians 5 had the desired effect. It caused him to repent and to come and return, and that was a good thing. Um. Thankfully, here at North Valley, we have not had to have a meeting where we had to verbally disfellowship somebody and remove them from the fellowship. Uh, The reason why we haven't had to do that is because they would remove themselves. And that is disfellowship. They disfellowship themselves. So there's no need to go into more depths. In fact, let's let's go uh, into some of those things. Here's if if a person does not disfellowship themselves, if they don't get up, you know, just decide we're not going to attend anymore, 
then we have to disfellowship them for the following reasons. Here's what they would be if we had to do it. We don't want to have to do this, but, you know, it does come up. Number one, we must exercise church discipline because God commanded it. A lot of congregations don't like to do this. And uh, and hopefully it never has to happen. But sometimes it, it, it will have to happen, and you need to be aware that God has commanded this. Second, we must exercise church discipline because it is the only way to help save the person who's living in sin. If someone's living in sin and they're continuing to attend the, the, the fellowship and it had been brought to them, the elders have sat down with them, maybe the preacher sat down with them, if you don't have elders to talk to them about this and they refuse to repent, they don't want, they're not going to change, they've been shown scripture, but they keep attending, then you're going to have to disfellowship them from the pulpit. Let everyone know. Number three, we must exercise church discipline because it protects the church in two ways. It protects the church, the body of Christ, from the negative influence of the person living in sin. You know, a little leaven uh, works through the whole batch, right? That's the way yeast works. It spreads. So it protects the church by sending the clear message to everyone that the church does not approve of that kind of behavior, to not associate with it. It is not what Christianity is about. Now, what important lessons can you and I apply to ourselves from this short section of verses? Well, first, we're reminded that the spiritual battle rages on, doesn't it? None of us can escape the battle. This is not a short-term battle, but it is a lifelong one. So we need to be equipped and prepared for the battle. And we must look to God for the help we need to win the victory. Second, we are reminded that false teachers and false teaching continue to be present. The, the devil's efforts to destroy or discount God's word in his church have not diminished in our, in our day. A primary task of, God, of us, of God's people, is this from Jude 3, contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. We need to contend. That requires us to stand up for truth and standing against what, what is false. False. Knowing God's word and continuing to grow in our knowledge and understanding of God's word is a safeguard against false teaching. Experts in detecting counterfeit money, you know, they don't study all the kinds of, of counterfeit money there is. Rather, they immerse themselves in studying the real thing. Because the better they know the real money, uh, how it looks, the easier it is to detect the counterfeit. The better we know God's word, the easier it will be for us to detect false teaching. Now, finally, we are reminded that Christians can shipwreck their faith. They can fall away from the saving relationship with Jesus. You and I can fall away if we are baptized into Christ. The sad truth is that not everyone who starts to walk with Christ continues to walk with him. Sometimes the church is required to exercise church discipline to help bring people back into a right relationship with the Father. I pray that no one falls for these traps and becomes spiritual war casualties. But casualties do happen. 
That's why we need to stay uh, uh, alert, attentive, stand firm for the truth, and don't give an inch to the devil. We might think that it could never happen to us, but we must never lower our defenses in this battle because falling away from the Lord can happen to anyone. There is no, listen to me, folks, there is no once saved, always saved. Because the only people who are going to be saved is Jesus Christ, the righteous. Think about this. Because maybe, I think if you've been on here or if you know me at all, you know I've made this comment before. How many people are going to heaven? Only one. Yeah, the book of Revelation, 112, what is it, 120,000 people are going to go. No. No, that, that, that is symbolic. And we're not going to get into that right now. That's just symbolic. And we don't know how many people are going to heaven. Like, I'm talking about humans. But we, I can tell you for a fact, there's only one person who earned it. Just one. And that is Jesus Christ, the righteous. And then the only people who are going to go to heaven with him, the only ones are those who are in Christ. Because you and I can't do it. We can only do it if we are in him. And there's only one way in him. Being baptized into Christ. And as he said, no one can take uh, me, snatch you out of my hands. No one can take you from the Father. That's true. Satan can never take you. He can't touch you in Christ. He can tempt you. But the only person who can take you out of Jesus is you. You choose to walk away. So I implore you. I beg you. Don't do it. Keep the faith. Work on that conscience. Feed it the good things of the word. Stay in a strong prayer life. Pray in the morning. Pray in the afternoon and in the evening and several times in between. Remember the Father. Remember him always and all that he has done for you and done for me. Let us think about that this week and study and pray about that. I pray and hope that you have a wonderful week, folks. Uh, again, summer's here. Summer camps are right around the corner. CopperBasinBibleCamp.org. We have a wonderful camp up there, 80 acres, tons of space. And we want your kids up there. We want them to get disconnected from those phones and the Internet and study and the Word of God and help build up that good conscience that will help guide them in this world to show them the Word of God is what they need in this confusing world where even people only know what kind of gender they are. Don't you want to get, a, get them away from that and give them a solid foundation on which to stand? You can find that in the Word. Thank you for being here, and you have a blessed, wonderful day. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. To hear this program again, go to FamilyValuesRadio1010.com and click on the podcast page and find this program and many others right there on FamilyValuesRadio1010.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.